prayer that come as well. So praise the Lord. We're in a series uh, called Seven Questions for Seven Churches, dealing with the epistles that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John to send to these churches in Asia Minor, the area known as Eurasia, there in the Turkish area. And we began at the end with the last letter to the Laodiceans. And um, in each of these letters, the Lord has compliments as well as corrections. And the title for that sermon was, Are You Who You Say You Are? This church said they had it going on, and the Lord says they didn't. And that their problem was they were lukewarm. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were just just mediocre. And the Lord had strong words of correction for them. Then last Sunday, we backed up to the very beginning to the church in Ephesus, where they really did have it going on, but their love was growing cold, which is the first step towards lukewarmness. So I feel the theme for these seven Sundays is dealing with our own lukewarmness. How many want your lukewarmness dealt with? This was driven home physically in our house when we purchased one of these water cooler slash water heaters for our kitchen. A water bottle, five-gallon bottle goes on top, and it didn't have a leaf on the front like this one did. But we noticed after a few days, the hot water worked great. The cold water didn't work. And because uh, the two containers in the thing, uh, the hot water tank and the cold water tank are right beside each other, the cold water tap put out lukewarm water. Have you ever let your coffee get cold? It's really not cold. It's lukewarm. It's just nasty. And it's like, okay, Lord, I hear you. So we took it back, and hopefully in a week we'll have it replaced. Here's a little cartoon of someone desiring to keep their mediocrity. Person's leading the teaching on the scripture that says the last should be first and the first last. He says, I don't want to be first or last. I just want to wallow somewhere in the middle. <laughs> All right, let's read our text. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. There's still a Christian presence in Smyrna. It's now known as Izmir, Turkey. Um, I don't know if you remember last year we had some guests coming to church who were school teachers in Turkey. It was a couple that brought their dog to church in a case. You may have wondered, why are they always bringing that case? There was actually a dog in there. Um, they wouldn't have come to church otherwise. So, hey, it's all about our guests, isn't it? Isn't it? Hello. Yes. And uh, so they heard the gospel every Sunday for about a month, and now they're back there uh, in this area. So... It's, it's a beautiful area, but uh, under heavy persecution because of Islam. It's a dominant religion. There's a big mosque, modern place. Very modern city on the Aegean Sea. 
Let's look at this letter more closely. To the angel of the church in Smyrna. We're actually going to come back to this, that little phrase at the very end. Or to the messenger. These letters were dictated to the leaders or the messengers of the churches. And this particular messenger, I believe, was an apostolic father named Polycarp who died an incredible death as a martyr. And and so this letter was an encouragement to him personally. Uh, He had been ordained by John. And so John, no doubt, probably had a hand in putting him in leadership in this church. To these things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. Jesus has preeminence because he was the first. And he has dominance because he's going to have the last word. Amen? Amen. And he was dead and has come to life. He is the first fruits of those who've risen from the dead. And we look forward to our resurrection, look forward to the resurrection of our loved ones who've gone on before us because he is the first fruit and we're going to be the last fruit. He says, I know your works, your tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. The Greek word for works is the word aragon, which means toil. It's a deed. It's doing. It's labor. These people not only had the talk, but they had the walk. And they worked for the kingdom. They worked to survive. I know your works and tribulation. The word there for tribulation is pressure. It means affliction, to be anguished, to be burdened, to be persecuted or troubled. It's rooted in a word that means to narrow. They were living in a tight place. You ever lived in a tight place? Things are just tight. You run out of money before you ran out of month. This church was living there. But yet the Lord said they were rich. James 2 says, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. This church is contrasted, I think, with the church in Laodicea, who was rich physically, but poor spiritually. They were the poor, rich church. This church was the rich, poor church. And that they were being persecuted and slandered by those who said they were Jews, but really weren't. They really didn't have the faith of their father Abraham. And they were actually functioning as a synagogue of Satan in stirring up the persecution that they were going through. It was enough to have Rome trying to dominate them, but the uh, anti-Christian Jews in the area who rejected Christ, many Jews did receive Christ, those who turned against them tried to use, manipulate the situation, just like what's happened with Jesus, manipulate the Romans to bring about persecution. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Literally, what he's saying here is fear nothing. The Greek word for fear means phobia. Have a phobia about nothing. You're in a tight place. You're going through hard times. There's intense persecution. There's false Jews, part of the synagogue of Satan. Fear nothing. Do not fear. Somebody said, we need to check it out. Fear not is in the Bible 365 times. You got to command for every day of the year, if that's true. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Not only were they suffering, but there was more to come. This was an incredible church. No wonder there's still a Christian presence in Smyrna. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. 
Keep in mind that we really don't wrestle against flesh and blood. If you experience persecution on the job or at the hands of our government, it's really not the president's fault. It's the enemy of Christ. The devil's behind all of that. Here they're promised they're going to have tribulation 10 days. Uh, commentaries have been fussing about this for years. What did this mean, 10 days? Because they certainly suffered longer than 10 days. Some people believe that it was 10 years, which uh, they suffered for 10 years under Diocletian, Emperor Diocletian, or Diocletian, um, and he ruled for 10 years and greatly afflicted them. Others think it actually refers to the 10 rulers, the 10 Roman emperors, of which Diocletian was the 10th one who was who persecuted the church horribly. And the Lord tells them to be fear nothing and to be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, we've not been promised an easy road. You know that? You have, uh, I love the promise books. I love the little promise boxes. But there's some scriptures they lead out. They leave out. You know that? Like in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We've got to see the whole picture, saints, if we're going to be ready to meet opposition. Amen? We want the whole counsel of God. And here they are being encouraged to be faithful unto death. And if they will do this, he will give them the crown of life. Now, I want to to assure you that even though things can be hard, God gives us grace to overcome. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Uh, I think it was uh, some people assigned to cause persecution to him wherever he went. And he could do nothing about it. He prayed three times, and the Lord didn't remove it. And the Lord did speak to him, though, and says, Paul, my grace is sufficient. I can help you handle this. He can give grace. Um, We support a group of Bible schools that are specifically uh, targeted for Messianic Jews, Jews who are coming to faith in Christ. They can go to a school within within the context of their Jewish culture and learn about Jesus, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. They're called Messianic Jewish Bible Institutes. And the director of the one in Odessa, Ukraine, is a man named Valentin Sviontek who uh, served in the Russian army during the days of communism. And they found out he was a Christian and sent him to Siberia. And thank the Lord the Iron Curtain came down and he was released, was able to come to the States, actually got a U.S. citizenship. And then God called him back. And he's right back there in his homeland ministering. But uh, he said there was one day when they called him in and they had a briefcase full of syringes. And they says, the, any one of these will kill you. If you do not recant your faith in Christ, we're going to, you ever see the nurse do this? We're going to finish you off. And he believed it was real. It was, it was, it was all over for him. And he said he felt like he was clothed in power and there was no fear. You know, the Lord helps us to do his will. And he did not recant his faith. And as it turned out, they were bluffing. They closed the case and sent him back to Siberia for until he finally got released. Um, in Hebrew theology, it's believed the uh, three, three Hebrew children that were thrown in the fiery furnace by 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry to say Nicodemus. Um, Hebrew tradition, uh, the, the stuff that's passed down by word of mouth that's not written down, is that, you know, they were thrown in there and their clothes weren't even burned. And Hebrew tradition teaches that they were actually clothed in a cool breeze that interrupted the heat of the flames and insulated them against the flames. So I believe if we have faith in Christ and he calls us to do the impossible, he will clothe us in the power we need when we need it. Oh, but I'm scared to death of dying. I hope I don't drown or I hope my head's not removed. You know, don't fear. The command is not to fear. And the day would come when you would face that, um, he will be there. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Jesus in us is stronger than us. I've thought about this many times with all the craziness going on in the world, gunmen coming into churches and shooting people. What would we do if this happened? Here's, here's, here's my plan. I'll just tell you my plan. My plan is to keep the guy's attention because I'm going to be a goner anyway, right? So praise the Lord, I'll never wind up in a nursing home. Hallelujah. I'll keep his attention, and hopefully you all will have enough sense to get out of here. Run. There's an exit there. You can go out through that closet. Sometimes the door on the other side is locked, so, you know. There's an exit there. And you can go out through the kitchen, which has an exit there. And there's two big exits there. So if some moron comes in waving a gun, get out of here. Just get out of here. Get out of here. All right? Okay. Good. I always wanted to say that, and I was able to say it in the context of a sermon. How'd you like that? <laughs> Some churches are having drills, exercising that kind of thing, but I think that kind of tear up the service. So, anyway. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we're reading these seven letters, or through the Lord willing, through seven consecutive Sundays. It may take eight Sundays if I don't finish today's sermon. Today could be a two-parter. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to each of these churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You know, Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill your body, but fear him who can cast soul and body into hell. The second death is far greater thing to fear than the first death. Amen? So, hallelujah. We're going to heaven, and the first death is nothing to fear. He will enable us to go through it if we have to. In fact, we have an appointment with death anyway. Did you know that? So you may as well accept the fact. Not to rush things. Our question today is, are you afraid? This relates to lukewarmness. If we have fearfulness in our life, it causes us to not want to be exposed. It causes us to not excel. It causes us to shrivel, to shrink, to hide, to run. But I want to tell you today that fear isn't such a bad thing if you allow its negative energy to be turned around. It, fear many times has 
cause people to do superhuman stuff. Uh, in public speaking, the, the fear of speaking in public is one of the biggest fears, according to psychologists. And they teach you in speech class to take that energy that the fear creates and use it to, to project. Um, years ago, I faced that, and, and, it, and it sure helped me. Use it. Use the energy to excel. Um, if a father's afraid that his children are in danger, you better watch out. Better watch out. Uh, Mama bear is afraid you're hurting her cubs. You better run. <laughs> Leave the tent behind and all the utensils. <laughs> so fear is a thing to fear, but we have nothing to fear but fear itself is what one of our presidents said, was it not? Uh, Roosevelt, the second Roosevelt. And uh, so the question today is, are you afraid that the Lord's going to let you down? Are you afraid he's going to call you to Alaska? Are you, are you afraid he's going to call you to Africa? Are you afraid he's going to call you to poverty? Are you afraid? And we are commanded to fear nothing but God. Fear will create, that kind of fear will create a mediocrity in us. It'll cause us like the guy in the cartoon. Can't I just be somewhere in the middle? <laughs> so my challenge today is for us to overcome our fears. Keys to fearing nothing. Know the truth. We are not promised an easy road. John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He's not telling us to expect trouble, but to anticipate it. Not not to be naive. This lady, Karen Watson, left the comforts of her home here in the States to go do missions work in Iraq, working with water purification. And she left a letter with her pastor before going to Iraq that he was not to open unless she lost her life. And she was kill, killed, gunned down in the country she came to serve. So the pastor opened the letter. And here's what it said. You're only reading this if I died. It included gracious words to family and friends and a simple summary of following Christ. It said this, To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. I think as American believers, many times it's our comfort that is our reward. We want it now. But it's his glory that should be the chief aim in our life. Amen? The glory of the Lord, not our safety. His glory. Romans 5 says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Hallelujah. Keys to fearing nothing. Know that we are not promised an easy road. Remember that we are in a spiritual war. Peter wrote in chapter 5 of his first letter, Be sober, 
Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. There may be some here who are suffering because of your faith in Christ. And we're promised that after you've suffered a while, don't know how long the while is, but after a while, you're going to come through it, perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. Hope will become the anchor of your life. In Laos is a communist government that persecutes Christians. And if they find out you're a Christian, they will arrest you and bring you in and try to get you to sign this form, which has been translated into English. Here's the form. I, here's where you write your name, who live in, here's where you write the village or town where you live. I, John Doe, live in Granbury, Texas, believe in a foreign religion which the imperialists have used for their own benefit to divide the united front and to build power for themselves against the local authorities. Now I and my family clearly see the intentions of the enemy and regret the deeds which we have committed. We have clearly seen the goodness of the party and the government. Therefore, I and my family voluntarily and unequivocally resign from believing in this foreign religion. And if you don't sign it, you're going to pay. You're going to suffer one way or the other. Maybe death, maybe not, maybe loss, certainly poverty as a result of your faith in Jesus. If you don't sign this false statement. Christianity is not, true Christianity is not the religion of imperialists. It's a religion of a king named Jesus who through a relationship with him, your eternal destiny can be secured. It's the only way to peace in life. It's the only way there will be peace in the Middle East is when Jesus is made king. That cannot happen by force. It has to happen by faith. And Jesus can do it. And that's why missionaries are continuing to go around the world in obedience to his command. So remember, we are in a spiritual war. Value Jesus' perspective on eternal life. You know from the viewpoint of Jesus... If you've entered into a relationship with him, you are already an eternal creature. Did you know that? Many times we think if we live a perfect life and then we die, then we get eternal life. No. At the moment you believe and confess Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. In fact, Jesus said you will never die. To him, he, see, he said death was sleep for the believer. Remember? I must go wake Lazarus. He's asleep. Well, Lord... <laughs> Let somebody else wake him. Why do we have to go there? We may get persecuted. Well, then he said, okay, Lazarus is dead down on, you know, the human level. We see death as an end. He sees it as sleep. In John 10, 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. John 11, Jesus said to Martha, he was there to resurrect Lazarus. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Do you believe this? Looks like a contradictory statement, doesn't it? He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. All right, we know a great resurrection is coming, right? And then he says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. But if he dies, he'll resurrect. Here's the point. There's two viewpoints there. There's our perspective, death and the future resurrection, and his perspective. You have eternal life, you're not going to die. You just go to sleep. Your body dies, but you remain alive. To be absent from the body is to be present from, with the Lord. That's the heavenly perspective. From our perspective, they're dead. But from Jesus' perspective, we should say they're asleep. Those who sleep in Jesus shall be raised up at the last day. Who's looking forward to that day? That day when there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. Understand that fear is a love issue. It's not trying to work up. I've got to be brave. work on your love life love walk with the lord and fear will take care of itself john wrote in his first letter love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world that's a whole nother sermon there as he is so are we love has been perfected among us There is no fear in love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who who fears has not been made perfect in love. So the, the key to love, if you're praying with someone and they have all kinds of phobias, pray for more understanding of God's love. And the love will displace the fear. Why do we fear? Because we think we're alone. Why do we fear? Because we don't think anybody loves us or we have some memory that, that's tormenting us. But the truth is the Lord loves us and he's here and you're not alone. And he's here to heal our hearts if, if it's related to some hurt. So love is the remedy. Um, I... Uh, had a pastor friend, I've lost touch with him, but when he prayed for people, he prayed for the problem. So if somebody ministered, came to him, I'm struggling with fear, he would say, oh, in the name of Jesus, we come against the spirit of fear, you hissing snake, with your lies and your secrets and your torments. We command you to leave now. By the time you got done praying, you felt more fearful than ever. <laughs> he prayed the problem very thoroughly. Those believers, I think effective ministry is praying the solution. The Lord knows the problem. He's waiting on us to ask for, with a solution. So the solution to fear is a greater understanding of love. Amen. Seek the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. And he helps us with love. Romans 5, 5 ends with these words. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Galatians 5 begins with a list of the characters of the fruit of the Spirit. The first characteristic of the Holy Spirit is love. Help us, Jesus. Can we just bow our heads and ask right now? Holy Spirit, help us to receive your love for us at a greater level than we've ever received your love before. And Lord, may that love overflow from being for us to being your love for others. In Jesus' name.
Lord, bring us to the place that that love would even flow through us to those who would persecute us so that we could truly fulfill your command to love our enemies, to do good to those who despise us. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, just come. Even right now, begin to minister your love to your people. Amen. My daddy's an old-time Pentecostal preacher. Grew up being called Holy Rollers. I mean, he's been to a Holy Roller church. We busted up four benches last night. It had a real move of God. I've seen preachers walk on the backs of pews, running. It's pretty trippy to see that, people parting ways. But my dad used to say, it's not how high you jump, on Sunday morning that determines whether or not you're spiritual. It's how straight you walk on Monday morning. And the love of God will help us do that. Are you afraid? Is fear a seed that's producing lukewarmness? Is your passion for the Lord waning because you're afraid? Afraid because the economy is going south. How could the Lord let this happen to us? We're such a wonderful people. Afraid because of what we see happening in our culture. You know, there's preachers banding together in California making determinations to not marry anyone that's not been a member of their church for at least a year and letting the, let the justice of the peace marry everybody else because... It looks like the track's being laid to force the church to perform ceremonies for, you know, two husbands marrying each other. Adam and Steve instead of Adam and Eve. I don't know. But uh, we're we're living in the last days. Amen? Craziness is going on. We may have to be persecuted, but God will help us. We cannot allow fear to create a lukewarm church. Otherwise, the enemy wins. So... A lukewarm church is made up of lukewarm believers. A fired-up church is made up of fired-up believers. Let the Lord have an impact in your life through these teachings that we are receiving together. I want to end with this story. The letter that we've studied this morning for a few minutes here begins with the words, To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write. Polycarp could have been the bishop or the messenger referred to here by Jesus at the time of the first reading of the book of Revelation. If not the first reading, certainly he was impacted by this letter because it was addressed to his church. He was a bishop of Smyrna and um, is certainly one of the link between the apostles, the original apostles and the apostolic fathers and the Christian teachers of the second century. Irenaeus was a pupil of Polycarp, and Irenaeus' writings, he stated that Polycarp was a disciple of John and that John appointed him bishop of Smyrna. He was the last of those appointed personally with the disciples of Jesus and was instructed by them. Here in this letter, the resurrected Christ said that this church was to undergo, undergo tribulation, but a promise of the crown of life was held out to those who were faithful unto death. Polycarp was given an opportunity in a Roman arena right there in his town to save himself by denying Christ. The ruling Roman proconsul told him to say, Away with the atheist! 
meaning the Christians who were in denial of the Roman gods. Polycarp said it, but he pointed to the people in the stands and said, away with the atheist. He was spunky. He told the magistrate that the fire would go out. They were going to burn him at the stake. He said, this fire will go out, but it's not to be compared to the fire of eternal judgment. He didn't flinch. John Fox, in his Book of Martyrs, reports his death in this way. Polycarp, the venerable bishop of Smyrna, hearing that persons were seeking for him, escaped, but was discovered by a child and arrested. After eating, the guards that had apprehended him granted him an hour to pray, which being allowed, he prayed with such fervency that his guards repented that they had to have been instrumental in arresting him. Conviction hit them. He was, however, carried before the proconsul, condemned to be burned alive in the marketplace. Here's another picture of him. The proconsul urged him, saying, Swear, and I will release you. Curse Christ, and I will release you. Polycarp answered, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has never wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? At the stake to which he was only tied and not nailed. You know, they used to nail people to the stakes because they'd run away when their ropes burned up. He just stayed there. He said, just tie me. You won't have to nail me. He would stand there immovable. He promised them and he did it. The flames encircled his body like an arch without touching him. The executioner on seeing this was ordered to pierce him with the sword, which he did. And such a great quantity of blood gushed out of his body, it put the fire out. But his body at the instigation of the enemies of the gospel, that is those Jews who said they were Jews and weren't, this very crowd that Christ was speaking of, were ordered to be consumed in the pile. They just said, pile the stuff around him. And slowly he did begin to die. And as he was dying, he prayed this, I bless you that you have deemed me worthy of this hour. Saints, we really have nothing to be afraid of. We could face the most horrible death and Christ will enable us to face it with dignity. Sometimes deliverance comes, like my friend Valentin Sviontek. I shared that with you. Sometimes it doesn't. I knew a preacher who was preaching on the street and someone shot a point .22 at him point blank and the slug hit the ground in front of him and just dropped. Couldn't touch him. Yet another would be preaching and they would die. Paul and Silas were in prison. An earthquake happened and they were freed. Yet Paul died in prison. So those things are up to God. The point is we are called to be faithful and God will enable us. I know of a church in the Philippines. My parents actually saw the clothes this congregation wore. They're worshiping God. And some guerrillas came in and ordered them to go outside so they could kill them. And some people ran outside and they shot them and killed them. But the people who remained inside continued worshiping. And they emptied their guns on them. And none of them died. But their clothes had holes in them. So the Lord preserves. Or he brings us through. He either takes us out or he takes us through. The point is we have an awesome God. Amen. Let's pray again. Lord, we've heard your word today. And I pray, Lord, that
lukewarmness would be put out of our life. Lord, that you would enable us to do great things for you because of fearlessness. Lord, let your love today absolutely drown out the fear that the enemy would want to put upon us. In Jesus' name, we give you glory and honor. Amen. I want to close with these words. The persecution that appears to be coming towards us here in America is nothing new. It's not some new thing. This uh, home group that's being persecuted in San Diego, who read about that? That's nothing new. My uncle was starting a church in Brunswick, Ohio in 1969 and got into it with the zoning commissioner and it had to go before the mayor, the city council. They had to fight for the right to assemble in their home, although you could have a beer party and all kinds of other crazy things, but you couldn't have church because of the zoning law. So it's nothing new. That was 40 years ago. The devil has no new tricks. It's just the same old stuff. God had the solution then and he has a solution now. Amen. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Joe's going to put on some ministry time music. If the ministry team could join me across the front here. Um, Actually, line up over here. Kind of leave an opening here in the middle for those who would like to come and pray just themselves one-on-one without anyone praying with them. So the front is open here for prayer if you'd like to just pray. And we'll be on the two sides of the stage here, the ministry team. Join me down here to pray with anyone that would desire to receive prayer about anything. It could be related to the message or some decision you're facing. Or maybe you want to become a follower of Jesus. We're here to pray with you and minister to you. Hallelujah. We stand. As the ministry team comes forward, come join them across the front and receive prayer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may fear have no place in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your life, in your home, in your family, and in your ministry. In Jesus' name, Lord, remove lukewarmness from us today. In Jesus' name, amen.